630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. McDavid centers one timer score. Oscar Clefbaum and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside and it is to the end zone. Touchdown Eskimos. Darrell Walker. With the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Halfway through the first period, it is scoreless between the Capitals and the Penguins. The Predators and Jets about to get going in Winnipeg. That series is tied 1-1. The Raptors and Cavaliers, game one of their Eastern semifinal series. Three minutes into the first quarter, Raptors have jumped out to a 10-4 lead. Baseball tonight, the Blue Jays play the Twins. First pitch coming up in a few minutes. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio. 6.30, Chad. Miko Koskinen is your newest Edmonton Oiler. They've agreed to terms with free agent goalie Miko Koskinen. One-year deal. Uh, we should say the contract can actually be filed until July 1st. I know Stoffer was talking about that today on Oilers Now. 29 years old. He's going to turn 30 on July 18th. Cam Talbot will turn 31 on July 5th. Koskinen, very impressive numbers in the Continental Hockey League with St. Petersburg for the past few seasons, including this year a 9.31 save percentage and a 1.69 goals against average in the regular season that was in 31 games but those are pretty eye-popping numbers which don't always translate to good numbers in the National Hockey League. Uh, Anders Nielsen, another guy who was a former Oiler who was in the KHL, had similar numbers for one year, and obviously it didn't go well for him in Edmonton. Koskinen gets a very generous contract, cap hit of $2.5 million on that one year. Uh, that is uh, a bit of a head-scratcher for a backup goaltender. Cam Talbot's going to make 4.17. He's going into the final year of his contract, so the Oilers will have two goaltenders in uh, the final or only years of their deals. Al Montoya still belongs for the Oilers. One belongs to the Oilers. One point zero six million dollars. Look, goaltending has been, I guess, backup goaltending specifically has been an issue for the Oilers. It's it's not the most important thing on the team, but when you don't have a guy that can step in there and be reliable every four or five games or however long it is between starts. It starts to notice. Ever since Peter Shirelli became the general manager, so if we look at the current era of the Oilers, in 15-16, Anders Nielsen played 26 games. He, he was actually... I would say slightly better than Talbot for about the first two months of the season. And then you probably remember that game in mid-December where Talbot made over 40 saves, helped the Oilers steal one in Boston, and Talbot took over from there. Uh, Nielsen wound up going 10-14-2 with a 3.78 goals against average, 9.01 save percentage. Laurent Brassois did get five decisions that year, didn't win a game going 0-4-1. So, you know, LB's been kicking around the Oilers system for a while. In 16-17, the summer of 16, Jonas Gustafsson, the monster, was signed as uh, as a free agent goalie in the summer. 
Well, he was only the monster because his numbers were really ugly. Only played eight games, went 1-3-1, one, and one, had an 8.78 save percentage. So more from Brassois. He played another eight games, got some wins going 4-1. and one. You know what? Brassois in limited appearances in 16-17, his numbers were awesome. 1.99 goals against average, 9.28 save percentage. That was the year the Oilers made the playoffs largely because... Uh, Talbot was incredible all season long, and it was fourth in Vesna Trophy voting. This last year, LB, the backup out of the gate, went 3-7-1, and 8.83 save percentage. He uh, had that stretch where he had to start seven straight games because Talbot was hurt. He did okay. Obviously, he had that nightmare third period in Calgary where uh, some shoddy goaltending almost cost the Oilers a 6-1 lead, but they were able to escape Calgary with a 7-5 win. Oilers traded for Al Montoya. He tended to be uh, really good or, or look not so great. I thought he was pretty up and down, had a 9.06 save percentage. So the search for somebody more reliable in this position continues. Will it be Miko Koskinen? I'm going to say I have no way in heck of making that promise to you because, uh, again, the KHL is a is a decent hockey league. It's not the NHL, but hopefully someone can take a little bit of... Uh, maybe pressure is not the right word because I don't know if Cam Talbot feels pressure, and he does say he likes to play more, but rest can be a weapon, and a goalie who can rest a little bit more always helps you, especially when you get late in the season. Hopefully the Oilers are playing important games late in next season, and uh, it's not going to crush them to have to give Talbot a night off or two along the way. Anyway, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063, and you can get more on uh, Miko Koskinen by going to 630chet.com. It is 6-12. The game in Winnipeg is, uh, is underway as uh, the Jets host the Predators just over a minute in. Uh, I don't know if you knew about this. Uh, Kellen Kennedy's on the other side of the window. Good to see you again, Kellen. It's great Though, to honestly, see you, too. I, I haven't actually seen you today because, I, I, as, as you know, I ain't the friendliest co-worker. Well, and I was also a little bit... Uh, I'll spill the beans. I was a little bit late for coming in for my shift. Just you were tardy? Traffic. I was tardy today. Well, to, traffic was bad. Pa- to paraphrase David Lee Roth in Hot for Teacher, you don't look tardy. I don't. What's the line? I don't feel tardy? I don't feel tardy. I think that was the line yeah, in Hot for Teacher. Uh, the Jets, of course, do the whiteout in the playoffs. All the fans wear white shirts. Started back in the 80s. They brought it. They uh, resurrected it, I guess, when the Jets were back in the playoffs in mm-hmm. Winnipeg. Yeah. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, one of their rejected playoff slogans for Winnipeg this year was white power. Another rejected playoff slogan, slogan in Nashville, be a predator. They decided, probably good idea. They, they rejected both of those. It's 2018. you got to think these things out a little bit more than Well, they the rejected years. them. Luckily, yes. they, those are rejected playoff slogans. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kelly Rudy coming up next. Is, is there any way to beat Vegas? They just keep figuring it out, don't they? I'll ask Kelly when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Just saw this tweet from the Spruce Grove Saints who are hosting the Wenatchee Wild in Game 3 of the Doyle Cup Series tonight. That's the uh, play-in between BC and Alberta to get to the Royal Bank Cup. The Wild are up 2-0 in the series. The Saints back home at 7 o'clock tonight. And the Saints have tweeted out, 
it's happy hour in the Saints Lounge from 6 o'clock until puck drop. We have $4 beers, which begs the question, why are we not on location in the Saints Lounge tonight? Kellen Kennedy. I don't know. I mean, this, this is what happens when I go away. Little details like that don't get taken care of, and we miss out on opportunities to bond with each other and with who's ever uh, hanging out in the Saints Lounge in Spruce Grove tonight, Kellen. Yep. We have to take that out of the powers that be and say, hey, we gotta, we got to be on this. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Thanks for tuning in tonight. No score, Jets and Predators, about four and a half minutes into the first. We'll keep you updated on all the important scores as we move along throughout the evening. Kelly Rudy, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? How was the holiday? Well, it was great. I was I was in Toronto for a few days, and I, I was tempted to, uh, to text you and ask you if you wanted to go out for dinner, but we would still be eating if that was the case. So... <laughs> I don't think I have any free nights to go out for any of the, the dinners that I like. Is there a place that you recommend, me? Oh, where did I go? Well, I went to Bar Isabel. Uh, that's supposed oh, to be a really good place in Toronto. My buddy and his wife uh, said we got to go there. It was close to where they lived, so it was one of those tapas style. You know, I tried grilled octopus, which wasn't my favorite, but there were a lot of good dishes there. I know I've, I haven't been, but I've been on College Street, and uh, but everybody tells me that's the place to go, including our stylist, the the wonderful lady Deb Berman that uh, dresses us for every show. She's a big fan of that place, so one day I'll make it over there. Yeah, for sure, you'll like it, and uh, yeah, give yourself a couple of hours for sure, which I know you don't have a lot of, uh, be- no. <laughs> because you're uh, you're up late with a lot of the double headers. Games in the West. I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question here that you and 30 other teams are trying to figure out. How do you beat Vegas? Because apparently you can do it every once in a while. I don't know if anybody could do it four times in a seven-game series. It's not looking that way. Uh, anyway, right. sees whatever you throw at them, they, they figure out a way to get past it. Okay, so I, I think I did my first Vegas game live in February, and it happened to be in Vegas. And I remember calling my producer here in Toronto, Brian Spears, saying, hey, listen, uh, whenever you watch them on TV, you know, you, lots of things you like. You can find reasons uh, to like the team and stuff. But when you see them live, you find out pretty quickly that they're for real. So they play a, a solid team game. Uh, and I know everybody says they, they're fast, but I, I wouldn't say they're necessarily through their lineup fast. They just play fast, and there's a big difference. And so that's what they do. They get on you quickly. If I were to... Uh, say one thing though where they I think they can be exposed defensively uh, it looks as though at times when San Jose has uh, some some zone time you can wear them out defensively because they are a man-to-man uh, defense and so it, it, I personally I think that's a real safe system because I find it to be uh, easy and all you need are two things really smart players and people that are really disciplined because if you're really smart then you don't go chasing the play you don't go chasing somebody else it's not your man but the problem is when you play man to man if you start to get tired at all and that's when it breaks down and then people get exposed and i think that we saw that in game two especially and at times yesterday San Jose had some zone time and then when you get tired like I said even really dependable defensive guys like Derek England he got lost on the wrong side of the puck for the game tying goal then you get a guy a big strong guy like Hurdle that attacks the front of the net and then it's chaos and that led to the game tying goal so if I were 
uh, coaching against them and uh, coming up with a system, what we have to do in the offensive zone, that would be a cycle the puck, use our big bodies, make it hard on them, and, and hopefully we tire them out because then they can get in trouble. Yep, but, you know, you just you just see with them, and when they were here second last game of the season, I went and talked to Brad Hunt. He was scratched for that game, yep. former Edmonton yep. Oiler. And he said it was so big for us that, that we won our first couple of games, started 7-1. and one. Rob Brown uses the word belief all the time. Craig McTavish uh, came in for an in-studio segment uh, for that Hockey Helps the Homeless game a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about in 2006. He says the team got belief. And, you know, and I know it sounds, it, I know it sounds hokey, but it, it is true, that little, little bit of more confidence or that little bit of believing. And you see some of the plays Vegas makes. You can just, to me anyway, you just look they like they believe something good is going to happen if they just stick with it. Well, and how do you get that belief? You have to stick to your system and play the way that the coaching staff says. And then most importantly, how you get that belief, you have to get rewarded. So you can play really well. You can do all the things that the coach uh, and his staff want you to do. You can chip pucks in or you can play fast. You can make plays. But if you're not getting results, that's going to chip away at your belief. And so I've always said that the biggest way to get confidence is to have a little bit of success so that your, your mind actually believes that good things are going to happen. Because if, if you ever enter a game uh, with a negative thought, you're doomed. All right. I'm glad that's a good segue into the next question I want to ask you. Kelly Rudy joining us, former NHL goaltender here on Inside Sports. Because there is nothing in hockey and maybe in sports as either uplifting or devastating as an overtime goal and we've talked about some moments in your career where you had uh, amazing overtime wins and crushing losses in overtime and I was thinking you know watching a couple of these games uh, well, I guess the one night Jones thought he was interfered with, so he didn't leave the crease. But oftentimes a goalie gets scored on, and you know he he pretty much sprints to the bench, gets off the ice. Obviously, he, if he's on the winning team, he gets to join the celebration. And sometimes his teammates will even go to him first before they go to the goal scorer. Give me the the ideal mindset for a goaltender when he's either on the winning or losing side of an overtime game. Well, I, ideally, it would be even keel, shrug it off if you're the losing goaltender. Just find ways to uh, have a really short memory. But it's hard. I mean, if there are games in which you think that maybe you're interfered with or uh, the ref missed a call, something that just sort of um, makes your brain think, um, have a hard time moving on, then, those, then you'll get the reactions from the goalies that you're banging their stick on the glass or on the crossbar, those sorts of things. And I've been guilty of that. I've, I've lost some games, and uh, I was really, really upset. And the, the emotion is true at the time. It's real. But most likely, looking back, it's not the best emotion because sometimes you can get too amped up. And if I had a criticism of myself, that, that's, that's the one. I was too emotionally invested in every single game and so when a game ended i was drained i mean i didn't have much gas left and so uh i think when you look at a guy like martin jones that's what everybody talks about how calm he is and you mentioned the uh, game in which he was interfered in didn't leave he didn't argue much he just he just was ready for the game to start up again and, and it's interesting though i always knew i thought fairly certain is the moment i let in a goal in overtime if that was the end of the game Yet, when my team scored in overtime, 
there was a, a moment of disbelief, and I didn't want to react to it in a positive way. And, and the biggest one was the Easter Epic, where it goes to uh, quadruple overtime. Uh, we're dog-tired. It's four minutes to two in the morning. Pat LaFontaine scores, and all I can think of is don't get excited because I was wondering if it's going to be called back for some sort of interference or I had no idea what the ruling might have been and I just didn't want to allow myself a moment of uh, uh, happiness so that I might in case I might lose focus which actually brings me to a different topic I cannot believe how happy and fun uh, uh, the kind of fun that Marc-Andre Fleury has every single game that is fabulous to watch I wish I would have had that attitude where it's just it's a great day to be on the rink and uh man alive it's good for young kids to see that that you can actually have tons of fun you can smile your way through a game and you can still be focused at the same time kelly we've we talk about the easter epic probably at least once a year and you've never shared that before that you had that moment where you almost had to restrain yourself from from celebrating because you wanted to make sure it was actually okay to let your guard down that's awesome man seriously seriously i bet if you were to look at the video it was two to four seconds until i really reacted Uh, i just i didn't even put my arms up i was just waiting and waiting and waiting and finally i was like you know what this is going to count so then i finally put my arms up in the air and celebrate. I remember Randy Boyd was the first player off our bench to come down to my end of the ice. Half the team went to Pat and half the team came down to my end and Randy gave me the biggest hug in the world. It was awesome. Right on. Okay, Kelly, one more quick one for you here. The Oilers have signed a highly touted KHL goaltender Miko Koskinen. Pretty generous contract. We'll see how that works out. Let me throw this one at you. You're Al Montoya. The Oilers traded for you during the season. You still got a year left on your deal. You see this signing today. What's going through your mind? Yeah, that's the one part about uh, being a professional that uh, you have to learn to accept. I remember the first time I was with the Islanders and we're, we're going okay. Uh, there was, uh, I believe at the time, we just got, first of all, when I joined the Islanders, I think I was sixth in the pecking order. There was Billy Smith, Chico Resch, uh, Richard Brodeur, um, Jim Park, and Roly Melanson, and then me. So I had a long ways to climb up that ladder to even get near that roster. So when I finally made it, then the second year we got rid of Roly Melanson, and you're thinking, oh, this is great. Now it's just Billy and I, and no end in sight for this uh, tandem. And then all of a sudden, uh, they start drafting players, and you're like, oh, this is how it works, right? They're actually preparing for the future, and it, it kind of stings you at first. I think it was Royden Gunn, a star from uh, the Western Hockey League. I think he played for Saskatoon. He was drafted. I think maybe the next year Jeff Hackett might have been drafted, and he was a star in the OHL. So when that starts to happen, you get it, it stings a little bit. you got to get over it quickly, and you, you don't dwell on it at all. But uh, And then when I was in L.A., I mean, they drafted Jamie Storr, I think, uh, seventh overall in uh, around 94, 95. And so... You really understand quickly that you got to fight for your job and, and uh, you have to earn it because nobody's waiting around for you to, to feel good so that you can have a great game. It, it, it's real. Kelly, always great to have you on the show. Enjoy the playoff action tonight. We'll do this again next week, buddy. Much appreciated. Okay, thanks, Reed. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
Well, Riley and the Eskimos just had that mini camp in Las Vegas. Uh, the Eskimos announced some cuts today. Most notable name, running back Trayvon Van, has been released. Obviously, they will have Gable and White coming out of the backfield this season. For the Predators, Fisher and Subban have scored. Nashville leading Winnipeg 2 nothing. Seven minutes left in the first period. Capitals and Penguins scoreless after 20 minutes. Raptors hosting Cleveland round uh, two, first game of that series. Toronto's up 33-22, one minute into the second quarter. Blue Jays trail the Twins 2-0 in the top of the second. And as I mentioned, starting at 7 in Spruce Grove, uh, the uh, Spruce Grove Saints hosting the Wenatchee Wild in the best-of-seven Doyle Cup. The Wild are up two games to nothing after winning the first two at home. Well, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It was obviously a, a busy week, well, at least at, at the end, for some announcements concerning the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff. And then a few minutes, well, a couple hours after that was announced, the uh, U of A Golden Bears rolled out an announcement. So Ian Herbers uh, went from being a, an assistant with the Oilers to uh, returning as the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears. And Ian has popped into studio. Ian, thanks a lot for coming in. My pleasure, Reed. Good to see you. I, I, yeah, we talked briefly uh, off air a couple of days ago, so I'll use the brilliant line I opened our phone conversation with. Congratulations on the new old job. Well, thank you. Excited to be going back. Uh, a great group to work with back my old school. Uh, Stan Marple does a fantastic job there, and the players that I've seen, and I know still a few of the guys, uh, it should be an exciting year for myself. Now, you know, tell us a little bit about how this this, this happens, because, you know, the whole, the old, the, the, the joke is coaches are, are hired to be fired, and or what's the least stable profession is, is coaching. Uh, but, I mean, you knew kind of when you left the U of A that maybe it would maybe it would only be three years with the Oilers. I mean, your eyes were were wide open the whole time. I assume. Yeah, I, it was nice. The U of A gave me the option with a three-year leave of absence, uh, which coincided with my contract with the Oilers. And unfortunately, the way things went with Edmonton this past season, I was able to take that option that I had with the, with the U of A, which is always a great option for myself going back to the old school. All right. What what would you say the the biggest uh, the, the your biggest takeaway or your biggest learning experience was? And look, you and I have been talking a, a long time. You, you've coached in the American Hockey League, played in the NHL, played in the AHL, got to coach the U of A. You know Claire Drake, but these three years with McClellan and staff and being through the grind of the NHL, what do you think the biggest takeaway was for you? Um, I guess probably just getting to be around hockey 24-7. We start at 6 in the morning. We go all day long. We're talking hockey. We're watching other teams. When I'm in the up top watching games, I'm watching other teams, how they uh, manage their bench, how they manage their team, their players, their systems, everything else. You get a chance when you're traveling around talking to other people and other organizations. So just talking hockey 24-7, which you don't have that option at the U of A. You've got to throw in some academics and everything else. So that's probably the biggest thing, a chance to see a lot of different things. I'm excited. Now I can maybe bring some different changes system-wise, the uh, way we do things back to the U of A, do some little tweaks here and there, uh, the way that we used to play three years ago. And just want to play with that kind of speed and tenacious, relentless hockey. You know, throughout the Oilers seasons, when Rob Brown and I would do overtime overline after games, one thing we would get asked sometimes, like, "Well, where is Ian Herbert? Why, why is he, why is he on the bench this game? Why now? Why is he up top? How, what's he doing?" <laughs> that went back and forth a little bit for you, I think. I think you were mostly up top this past year, though. Uh, yeah, just the one time when Jim Johnson had to leave for a game, so I was back right. on the bench for that one. I think it was San Jose later in the season. 
Yeah. So was that, is that a big difference in terms of your in-game responsibilities, whether you're up top or on the bench? Uh, yeah. When I'm up top, I was on the mic and headset with Jay Woodcroft, and we'd share ideas and talk if we saw anything with each other. If he didn't catch something on the ice, he would always wire up to me and, and have a chance. And then I'd get to watch the other bench, like I was saying, and seeing any lineup matches or what they're doing, if their systems are changing or somebody left the bench because of injury or, or equipment problems. Uh, and then obviously down in between periods and, and discussing. Now, as someone, though, who had been a head coach in Canada West and the American Hockey League before coming to the Oilers, was that was that a, I don't know if difficult is the right word, but there must have been some sort of an adjustment going up top because I would think you, you're, not, you're not drawn into the game in the same way. Or am I wrong? Uh, well, the game is definitely a lot faster when you're down on the bench and ice level. Uh, I noticed that in my game I did against San Jose and I was back on the bench. I hadn't been on the bench since preseason, the first game of the year. Uh, and just the pace of the guys fly. And obviously you're on the ice at practice, but they're not going game speed and game tempo. Uh, so it was a bit of adjustment going up top, but it was also a good experience for myself. Uh, when you're on the bench managing your team, you don't get a chance really to see the other bench. So it was those two years I was up top, uh, I thought were great learning experiences for me. It's something I hadn't done, a different opportunity for myself, a uh, way to make myself a better coach. All right, I'm going to throw one at you here, Ian, and I, I don't want to dwell on this. You're not, you're not with the Oilers anymore, but I, I'm going to ask you this one question. As a member of that coaching staff, how frustrating and how hard was it on you with the struggles of the power play and that you had a special team unit that wound up last in the league? Oh, well, obviously it was a conversation every day in the coach's office. Uh, it wasn't something the power play penalty kill were good the year before and penalty kill was good on the road and struggled at home. So it's a lot of different things you'd we hadn't seen as coaches and uh, it's just tough to explain but you're always looking and finding different ways and trying different things we put guys on their strong side we moved guys around in and out of positions um, we we're always looking at other teams see what they're doing talking to other people even talk to people in Europe and see what they were doing on really? the power play system yeah. so you're always minor leagues somebody might have some ideas and that too so you're always trying to improve and find different ways so it's very frustrating let me ask you something else generally uh, as a coach. W- whether it's the Oilers power play or uh, a, a U of A defense pairing that all of a sudden can't make a pass out of their own end or or, or whatever. Because I know as, as observers, and I'll include kind of fans and media in that together, you know, we'll see something and say, well, that was a terrible game in that department, whatever it is, so you got to change it for the next game. But as a coach, I'm sure you've already given instruction in whatever area it is and maybe you want to say, I got to give this guy or this unit five, six, or in U of A, you know, a couple weekend series. That you, like, is that is is that part of it? You got to exercise some patience that might be hard for people to watch sometimes. Well, also people see different things on the ice as well. So some things you don't like, somebody else might like, and that goes the same thing for coaches as well. Uh, But you do have to give the players a a little bit of a chance to prove themselves. And usually it's they've earned those opportunities to be out there with all the work they've done in the past. If it's a new team, a rookie player, maybe they don't have as big a leash. But if it's a veteran and somebody that's a high-end player that's proven that he can do things, and especially on the power play, he gets a little longer rope and gets that opportunity. 
Ian Herbers joining us. Spent the last three seasons as an assistant with the Edmonton Oilers. Now back behind the bench with the U of A Golden Bears. He uh, coached there for three years. Previous to joining the Oilers, won two national championships and uh, was very close to getting a third. It was Waterloo that stoned you guys that one game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, hit the post right in the last few seconds and... Perfectly executed face-off play, except for one inch at the very end. Yeah, yeah, hit the post, uh, right where the post and crossbar meet. So, going back to the U of A, uh, Serge Lajoie, obviously he'd been the coach the last uh, three years. Now, obviously, you know, I know people, well, what, what does this mean for Serge? Well, hey, Serge, and you guys have a relationship too, right? Yeah, no, we've uh, talked, and part of this, when I left and took my sabbatical, it was who we were going to bring in for that three years, and one of my first names that popped into my head was Serge. Uh, he did a fantastic job at Nate. We were D partners when we played together at the U of A, um, and I thought he did a great job his three years with the Bears and the head coach, and so it was a great pick, a good experience for him, a good opportunity for him, uh, hopefully open some other doors for him. Now, what about the spot? he's leaving you in because I think there's only one graduating player off this national title team. Yeah, Jamie Crooks who I had when I was coaching there so he played five years, won three championships so not a bad career for Jamie. Uh, Dylan Bredo might be back trying to get his master's degree, so that might be another player they're missing. So, and right now Stan's talked to a few new recruits and if they come in, it'll even be more skill. Well, you always have that at the at the Golden Bears, and certainly they they needed it to tough out the uh, close games at Nationals this year, especially the last two. They had to fight back in, in both games. Kevin texting in, he says, as a former tour bus driver, I often drove the Golden Bears to their away games. You're back on the bus, Ian Herbers. That is from Kevin. Uh, just, I don't know if you remember, uh, Kevin. but yeah. No, still chartering. Just now, instead of a plane, it's a bus. And right. So it's, it's obviously a lot less travel than I've been doing the last three years. We only play the 28 regular season games. 14 of those are on the road. And whatever we do for preseason and exhibition games. And then this year, Nationals are in Lethbridge. So the travel's even cut down there. So let me ask you this. And, and you and I have had this discussion often about the, the preparation in Canada West. Because you know you're playing Friday and Saturday, and you guys always practice Monday through Thursday, right? Yeah, I think I think some correct. teams take Mondays off, but you guys are all pretty Depending much always on out the exam there. schedule and right. part of the season. But, but you prefer to practice practice Monday. So when you're like, how do you put together that practice plan? Because players prefer to play. That's always been my experience talking to them. How do you put together that practice plan to uh, you know keep them invigorated? And how much do you tailor it to the upcoming weekend's opponent? Um, well, the past, when I, last three years I was at the Bears, we try and make everything game-like and in intensity because some guys don't get to play as much and you only have that 28-game schedule. So your practices need to become games. So we push the tempo, a lot of compete, a lot of battle drills, uh, challenging players, challenging them to get better, finding different ways to push them. Uh, Mondays for us was usually a battle individual skill day. Tuesday was a system day. Wednesday was a specialty team day. And then Thursday would be a... Uh, we just kind of touch on things, and if there was something for a particular opponent, maybe retouch on that. But for the most part, we focused on what our team needed and what we needed to do, and that was playing with speed and pushing the pace and moving pucks and close support um, and a lot of talk, communication, and just that intensity and that tenacious, relentless hockey. 
How much is internal competition a part of the Golden Bears' success, going back to when you played in the in the 90s? Uh, huge. It was that way with uh, Coach Drake and Billy Moores when I was there, those four years when I played, and, and that was a big part of the team. You were able to carry an extra line, an extra pair of defensemen, an extra goaltender. Um, even my first year, it was the lockout year, and so we had an extra forward of NHL. So we had six lines, five sets of defensemen, four goalies on the ice, and so I had to get really creative in practice and make sure we are using the ice well and make it competitive and the guys would get a good sweat and we'd be out there for just over an hour and everybody was coming off tired. Ian, can you stick around? Yeah, no problem. Because I tweeted out one of your NHL fights earlier today and I said I'd ask you about it, so we're going to go down that road too. You'll love that one. I probably won't remember. (laughs) Ian Herbers in studio, Inside Sports on Chad. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 6.30 Chad. 3-0 Nashville leading the Jets last minute of the first period in Game 3. Capitals and Penguins 1-1 early in the second period. Carlson and Gensel are the goal scorers. My name is Reed Wilkins in studio with Golden Bears hockey head coach Ian Herbers. He goes back to the U of A after a three-year stint as an assistant with the Oilers. So this, and you were... So going back six years, I guess, you were the Milwaukee Admirals coach in the AHL. Correct. Nashville's farm team. Correct. So any, uh, how many of these Predators guys would you have experience uh, well, with? Well, Yossi had a couple of years, Ellis a year, Ekholm a little bit, uh, Watson for a year, um, Arvidsson and a few of the guys at Salamaki and that at development camp because we ran the development camp on ice sessions. Uh, so there's quite a few. A few have moved on now. Colin Wilson was there. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, he was like Gabriel a seventh Bork overall pick. And that. So we've had a few guys come through. You know, I don't want to put you in too tough a spot. I'll just make a comment. I mean, Subban's nominated for the Norris Trophy. I don't even think he's the best defenseman on his team. Like, uh, Yossi, you must have seen it with Yossi. Yeah, well, I'm a little biased. I had Yossi for two years down in Milwaukee. <laughs> so uh, I think he's one of the top defensemen in the league. Uh, the way he can skate and he can just log minutes and he doesn't get tired. Some games, all of a sudden, I look at it and he'd be on the ice for 30 minutes in a game. And that would just be during regulation. And you wouldn't notice when he comes to bench and... He's fine. He's ready to go right back out and stuff. So uh, he's just a horse out there and can do a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously the Predators are, are a great team, so we're not going to go through every player. But uh, I've al- I've always enjoyed Arvidsson. Like when he really burst in, you know, when you really started noticing three or four years ago with his shot and his finish. Uh, that energy and the tenaciousness he comes and plays with. He's he's after the puck. He's hounding pucks. He's playing in the hard areas. Uh, he's not timid and he wants to score goals and enjoy scoring goals and uh, and being that active and that hard to play against. And when you got guys on that, like that on your team, running your team, you're going to do well. Yeah. All right. So uh, you, you played obviously in the NHL. Who were you with? You were with Oilers. You were with Tampa. And Islanders. And Islanders, right. Who was it that drafted you again? Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo? But you never played any Sabres games. No. I was drafted and then was injured my last year in junior, so ended up coming to the U of A. Right. I was enrolled at U of S. Coach Drake was golfing with my wife. Well, I saw my dad at the golf course, and after the at the 19th hole, they got talking a little bit and asked what I was doing. And he said, going to U of S. And he said, well, tell him to come have lunch with me. So the next day, I went down and had lunch with Coach Drake and dropped out of the U of S and rolled at the U of A, and we go from there. So I still try to get a golf scholarship out of athletics just to, for recruiting purposes. It hasn't happened yet. If you would have gone to the U of S, not only would we probably have never met, I would have hated you without even ever meeting you. And hopefully you <laughs> Vest would add another national title in, too. Uh, Jordan Cook, 
who was a great goalie for the U.S. Unfortunately, he was hurt for Nationals, right? Yeah. Great, yeah. Gr- great goalie. Missed, uh, care of the Canada West Finals as well. Yeah, from Leduc. Uh, a great university goalie. We'll see what happens with him. He, we, we did. I did an interview with him the lead-up to the 500th game okay. earlier this year, and he, what did he say? It was like... Uh, Controlled loathing or something like that. The way the way the two schools feel about each other. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you play the NHL. Uh, so for fun, I tweeted out a fight you had with Matthew Barnaby. I don't know if you remember that. I think you had seven or eight NHL fights. Yeah. Yeah. You're. Good. I know he was. Uh, he oh, was he, probably chirping. Oh yeah. He was always, and he was a very smart, uh, he, very technical fighter. Uh, he'd fight anybody his game and competitive, and he was out there every shift to win. So. Well, it was, I don't know if it was much of a fight. I think it was more of a tied up, and neither of us could really get free. So He didn't want to get too close to you from, from the video. You're a lot bigger. If you're a big guy. Was that... I was the second smallest defenseman with the Islanders. Who was? Who did they have? Chara, Carnes, okay, well. B-Ron, Mezzi. Uh, Kenny Johnson was our skill guy at 6'2", <laughs> and he was an unbelievable defenseman. Yeah? Yeah. And Charles six nine or whatever, yes, yes, something like that. Yeah, that Karen's uh, guy was huge, wasn't he? Oh yeah, but six, he was seven. Man, so so, you was... were the, so if they needed to fight somebody, they, yeah, <laughs> they went yeah. after the small Ian Herbert. That's right. <laughs> did you uh, did you enjoy that part of the game? Did you accept it as something you had to do sometimes? How did you feel about the fight? Um, it's competitive. You're out there, and lots of times it just happened because both guys are battling, and the next thing you know, gloves are off, and you're going at it. Especially when you're in the corners and net front, and other competitive guys on the ice. Uh, every once in a while, I was just helping out a teammate, protecting a teammate, which needed to be done, and uh, for the team to be successful. So it's just part of the game. All right, Ian Herbert's joining us in studio. We got you for a couple more minutes here. You're going back to the U of A uh, for the Golden Bears. Do you have a coaching staff? And look, I know you just got appointed or went back on Friday. Do you have a coaching staff right now? Uh, no, I haven't even had a chance to talk to the, the previous assistant coaches or anything else. Okay. Uh, just a little bit with Serge, and, and that's it. Right now I want to try and talk to the, all the players and get to know them, get a little feedback from them, and then, and then go from there. Okay, so we'll 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 keep an eye on that as we move along. Uh, playoffs are, are, are raging on. We've been keeping an eye on the Predators game. You know, Vegas obviously, <laughs> like, incredible story. Anything anything surprise you a little bit though from from what we've seen in the playoffs before? I mean, you would have coached against all these teams. Uh, no, I knew Vegas was. Uh, they play four lines and they work and they come after you and they're just doing what they've done all all season long. Uh, San Jose's playing better. I think them getting Kane has helped them a, a lot. It's helped their depth uh, and they're playing hard as well. Winnipeg's been good ever since that. I think our third or fourth game that they came into our building and, and got the ball rolling. That woke them up. Woke them up. Well, it started I guess with their goaltending. Hellebuck uh, he came in and played very well. Uh, then they were flipping goalies and that and kind of settled that team down in Nashville they're the same they work hard and come after you so no big surprises on the west side at least anyways yeah and then the east side it's it was the top four teams all of them very good teams I thought Columbus might be Washington yeah well I don't know Washington they they seem to play well and maybe they might be their way coming in as the underdogs now instead of being always the top team and winning the president's trophy and all the pressure on them uh, they got some younger guys in there they got guys that have stepped up and played well and finding ways to win and um, Holtby's come in and played well for them here now Ian thanks so much for coming in I know we'll be having a lot of these uh, chats here in the years to come but really appreciate you making time for us tonight uh, my pleasure thank you Reed. Ian Herbers head coach of the U of A Golden Bears he's back behind the Bears bench Oh my goodness, another guest in studio? Sean White, Eskimos kicker, when we get back.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.